Let's do that hockey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of Dauber Prospects Radio. I'm your host, Peter Harling, and it's been a long time since we've had a podcast released many months. So I apologize about that. But coming back and coming back hot. I've got a couple announcements to get out of the way before we start this episode and start talking about some prospects you're going to want for your dynasty leagues that are coming out of college, free agents and drafted players and whatnot. So the first thing to talk about, as I said, this will be the final episode of the Dauber Prospects radio podcast as it's been. It's been a long run, a couple of years. Congratulations to me and thanks to Paul's Wambag for being my co-host, getting me started on this podcast and doing the first season or two. It's been a couple of seasons and, you know, being the the host and producer and, and doing all the work and in addition to the additional duties that I've taken on again as the managing editor of Dauber Prospects. The podcast is kind of kind of gone to the wayside a little bit. It's it's just been kind of too much work for me to, to manage on my own. So I made the decision to not abandon it, but to reinvent it and, and recruit some help. So I'm very, very, very grateful and happy to be announcing a new co-host going forward to the show. You probably know him and love him from such places like Dauber Prospects and the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast. The new co-host going forward is, is going to be Victor Nuno, good friend of mine and a fella i can't wait to uh be a co-host and have a a rebranded podcast and and even meet him at the draft in dallas or nashville coming up this summer so victor welcome to the show thanks pete i'm so i'm so excited to join it and yes props to you for for what you've done so far and i'm super excited to to join in and hopefully we can create stand on the shoulder of giants and create something even better together i'm super excited yeah me too i'm very excited to be we're committed to making this a, a weekly release podcast so you're going to be getting lots of lots of dynasty gems and content on the podcast again going forward so if you unsubscribed to the show resubscribe and, and don't be surprised if it shows up as as a new title on your podcast source whatever you listen to the show on now on that note we're having a hard time coming up with uh with a name for the show what we want to call it and the leading contender that victor and i like so far is called fantasy hockey prospecting fhp but we're going to throw it out to the listener we're going to give you guys the opportunity to come up with a much more clever title than than that and if uh you know if we get one that that really blows us away well that's going to be in the name of the podcast so this is your opportunity to to, to name the podcast and, and hope that you like it and have a little bit of uh ownership on on the show how does that sound victor that sounds perfect and and yeah what a great opportunity right i mean we uh i think that name is is fine but maybe one of you will just blow us away and that's what we're kind of hoping for yes i'd also like to 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 mention that it's too much work for for me to do this on my own and having victor give me a, a hand with the content creation and and the the content on the show i needed more help than that and i'm very very grateful to announce that the the show finally has a a producer someone that is far more technically inclined than i am which it doesn't require much skill. Evan Sabrin is our new producer. He's going to be making it sound much better, taking out all of my verbal diarrhea, the ums and ahs and stutters that I have, and making it uh, a little bit more, a little bit more friendly with the audio intros and and segues and and music. And so I'm very excited to be having a, a much more professional sounding show. Not just good content, but sounding good. Less of me, more Victor, more of Evan. 
<laughs> all right. So that's all of the the housekeeping, I think, out of the way for, for now. We, we mentioned that we'd be having some fantasy hockey content. So let's get to it. So on this episode, Victor and I have decided that this time of year, which is a great time of year for fantasy hockey, you're either in or your playoffs are, are done in your fantasy leagues. Maybe if you uh, are already out or have been out for a while, you've been, you've been looking to the future and you're trying to come up with some ways to add to your, your dynasty team and, you know, the draft's coming up, but that's still a few months away. We got the draft lottery to be sorted out. Uh, we got the U18s coming up that will move the needle a little bit. That's certainly some some content that we'll be talking about in upcoming episodes. Dauber Prospects is also in the middle of our organizational prospect rankings. So that's some content that you'll be seeing coming down the pipe in the near future. But so for today, with the NCAA college season and a lot of the European leagues wrapping up, we thought we'd talk about some players who are coming to the NHL. They've signed a contract. They're either drafted prospects or undrafted free agent prospects. So Victor and I will be taking turns talking about a couple of different players that are going to be making their their move to pro. And we'll talk about what their fantasy upside is, what their roster ability potential is, what the ETA and, you know, if you either are in deep leagues, some of these players might be drafted, but not all of them because, you know, some of them are undrafted and what their fan tracks roster percentages and what their availability is. So let's get right into it. Victor, what do you say? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So you're up first. You know, I'm going to give you the inaugural lead here. The first person I think we decided we wanted to talk about was defenseman Michael Benning. So what do we need to know about this player? Mike Benning, who is uh, Florida's 2020 fourth round pick, is the the brother of San Jose Sharks, Matt Benning. So Mike is a five foot nine right handed D in the Florida system. Uh, he's currently, we'll mention this for most of the guys, 4% rostered on fan track. So almost certainly available in your league. That's helpful to think about, you know, if this is someone that you can go get. He just completed his junior season at the University of Denver. He had a national championship while he was there. He was also the MVP of that team and somehow only a second team all-star. I don't really know how that worked out, but he was great for the pioneers in there in his tenure there. He uh, was just under a point per game. The last uh, in the last two seasons, he he was uh, 38 points in 41 games as a sophomore. And just recently as a junior, 34 points in 39 games his freshman season, he was about half point per game. So all in all, looking pretty great as a points producer. He's also a little spoiler alert. We're working on our organizational ranks. All the editors have kind of turned this in. We're just waiting to you know consolidate and, and look at all the different numbers. He is my number one on the Florida system, which probably says more about the Florida system than about Michael Benning, but he is still a really decent prospect. The main issue is just the size. He's He's 21 years old and he hasn't really grown. He was five foot nine when he was drafted. He's still five foot nine. So the size, he's he's pretty undersized. He does a decent amount though. And in his, in his 23 plus minutes that he played, he had almost three shots a game, a block and about a half hit per game. So that's pretty good peripheral coverage. He was absolutely dominant at the college level, 61% Fenwick. You know, some of the things when you watch him though, he definitely, 
I wouldn't say he cheats for offense, but he, he he definitely is prone to making some some kind of boneheaded coverage plays. And so that's not something you can do as an undersized defenseman. That's really going to have to be cleaned up if he's going to get prolonged look in the show. So he's got a little bit of things stacked against him. When you look at some of the analytics, his hockey prospecting looks pretty stellar. He looks right now like 50-50 coin flip of being a star producer as a defenseman. A couple of the comps for him, one of them is Rasmus Anderson, who's a total star right now in the league. Some of the other models like him maybe a little less. Uh, the Jay Fresh uh, top-down hockey model has him like more of like a 2% chance of being a top point producer. And then the PNHLE that Mason Black runs has him pretty close to a top-line producer. Uh, and that's kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit throughout his uh, career at the NCAA. So I wouldn't say that Michael Benning is a no-brainer ad, but he is close. He's close to being NHL ready. He's He's already with the Florida Panthers right now. He didn't get into the playoff game, the one playoff game they've had as we're recording this, but you know, he might, uh, I would imagine he needs some AHL time though. Maybe one, maybe two seasons. Uh, and again, he's going to have to clean up some of the, some of the defensive plays that that he does, but he's certainly a good enough skater and has the offensive acumen, especially if they could pair him with a, you know, good stay at home guy, that would be something that could work. So I think he's probably, you know, a year or two away and he might even, reach the roster sooner. So he's someone that I would grab if you can. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I think he's a legit prospect. And probably the best thing he's got going for him is that he doesn't have a lot of roster blockers in the the Panthers system, right? Like he's clearly their number one defenseman prospect and arguably their 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 top. I had Sam Skavich number one over him. But yeah, he's he's a he's a need to own player on your in your dynasty league if he's if he's on the free agent waiver and you can get him without a draft pick then i'm not sure what you'd be what you'd be waiting for so another defenseman uh this one's to me philadelphia flyers prospect emil andre so here's the here's the file on on emil andre he's undersized he's five foot nine and and 176 so that's the first thing you need to know about him and I, you know, I talk about that a lot on, on the podcast that you, you know, Craig Button told me you don't measure prospects with the tape measure. Yeah, that's not how you scout them. However, the fact remains there are only five active defensemen in the NHL that are five, nine or under Jared Spurgeon, Tory Krug, Nick Blankenberg, Jacob Bryson, and Drayden Hunt. So, you know, five, but only less than half of those are, are really relevant players. So it's, it's very challenging for a player that size to be impactful in the NHL. I'm pretty sure Ryan Ellis was, but he's no longer active. Um, what made Ryan Ellis effective is that even though he was very short, he, you know, he brought a lot of offense to the table and he was very good defensively and his skating was, was excellent. His positioning and angles and, and boxing players out uh, was all excellent. And his timing with, the way he would play physically was was very smart as well, right? Like he would not be able to over, overpower players physically, but he would hit them when they were on stride or whatever, and, and they'd be off balance already. And, you know, he's, so he's, he's effective physically that way. Andre is, is a physically aggressive player as well. I don't think he's got the same expertise at it that Ryan Ellis had, but you know, Ellis didn't have that when he came into the league. He developed that over time. So that's something that he's going to have to work on. He's uh, 8% Fantrax rostered, so there's plenty of opportunity to add him to your roster. He's, uh, like I mentioned, he was a Flyers draft pick back in 2020, a second round pick. So he's got some draft pedigree. You know, he's drafted 54th overall. So 
Philadelphia is going to want to give him some opportunity to to make the roster and you know give him some some good minutes in in Lehigh Valley next season. I think the tag on him on his Dauber prospects profile is that he's an undersized offensive defenseman, a great skater with high end hockey sense and great puck skills. Very smart, creative player, surprisingly good defensively, which bodes well for his NHL future. And we're projecting him as a as a middle pairing defenseman at the NHL level. I think that's a pretty great synopsis and kind of ties in with what I said at the top there about how he needs to play like Ryan Ellis to be effective. And, you know, he's got great skating and, and great hockey sense, and that's going to be essential. Looking at some of his his body of work, he he captained Team Sweden recently at the 2022 World Junior Championships, and he was pretty impressive player there. Eight points in seven games with four goals and four assists, which was the most goals by a defenseman in that tournament. He helped Sweden in that shootout with Americans win the bronze medal, I believe that was. And he was an all-star in the tournament and one of Sweden's top few players. So in his final year of eligibility, in the uh, world juniors, he was he was dominant. He was a star. He was playing in the SHL. They were relegated to Alsvenskan, I, I believe, HV seventy one team. He got them. Well, they got back into the SHL, and he had twenty six points in fifty one games and sixty seven penalty minutes. So, you know, he had more penalty minutes than points for an offensive undersized defenseman. So this again tying into my original thought at the beginning. This is looking like, despite the fact that he's short, he and light, you know, he's not just short. He's also 176 pounds. I think his his style of play is projectable to the NHL. So he signed after the conclusion of this season, and he's been playing in in North America. He played the final nine American Hockey League games, and he had six points in nine games. So it's a small sample size, and and often we see players finish the season coming from from Europe or uh, he's not from the NCAA. So there's one European. We see players come and finish a handful of games in the NHL or the AHL, and they have a, a massive point production in a short sample size. Tara Horosi is a good recent example of that, a free agent that signed with Detroit. He had a great finish in the season, a lot of points, and then you know didn't make the NHL the following season and, and didn't make a splash even at the American Hockey League. So keep all of these small sample sizes with a grain of salt. So despite him being a smaller player, he's got some bashes, as Victor likes to say. He's averaging over 1.2 hits per game and projecting to over a half a penalty minute per game at the NHL level is, I think, a pretty realistic expectation for what kind of peripheral stats you can get from him to complement his you know, middle pairing offensive upside. He does play a physical game. He's aggressive on puck pursuits. He's got the mobility, but his meal ticket to the NHL, if he can accomplish all of those things will be his ability to create offensive support at the NHL level. I mean, no matter how good he is defensively and, and physically at 5-9, if he's if he's not able to supplement the offense, I, I don't think it's going to work out for him in the NHL. That being said, I think it's going to work for him in the NHL because you know, I've seen enough to, to see him translate. And I think the turnaround time for him, the incubation period, is, is not going to be that long. I think he's going to play either a full or the better part of the upcoming season in the American Hockey League because you know Philadelphia is probably not in a situation where they're going to rush him uh, and think that they can can win right away. So they're going to want to let him become as good a player as, as he can be. And then I look at the Flyers roster next season. Their defense is has uh, Ivan Provorov, Rastelainen, D'Angelo, and Sanheim uh, under contract. So there's four 
Uh, Cam York, of course, will will no doubt be signed. He's a, a free, a restricted free agent, but I'm I'm pretty sure he'll be signed and on the roster. So his his competition outside of that, it's pretty steep. You know, the, the Flyers have some some options there. Ronnie Atard, Yagor Zamula, Emil Andre, I think would be the the top three there. So that that's where I see him, Victor. I think he's a great add. You might have to sit on him for a year, but I like his upside, especially in bangers leagues. Your thoughts on Andre? I love this kid too. And and everything you said about him, especially with how he is able to actually defend well and the points you made about Ryan Ellis, I think he can get to that, that threshold as well. And everything that he does in that sphere is what Michael Benning doesn't really do right now. And what Michael Benning really needs to work on if he wants to be effective. I think that Emil Andre is, is pretty far ahead in that sense. He's been playing against big, strong men in the SHL for, for years. And also, as you mentioned, looked absolutely dominant and when you said that, it confused me because I was like, wait, didn't the Americans win bronze in the most recent World Junior? But then we had that rescheduled World Junior in August. And that's the one where Sweden took bronze. And that's where Emil Andre was great. Uh, he wasn't in the uh, most recent World Juniors. It was in January of 2023. So anyways, in case anyone else was confused like I was. But I totally agree. The only the only real negative is, as you mentioned, the Flyers have another pretty small, good offensive defenseman that's pretty sturdy on his feet. And, you know, it's kind of breaking into the NHL right now. And that's Cam York. So, you know, not exactly the same player, but they have offense and reasonable defense. So it'll be interesting to see between the two. York obviously has a has a leg up because he's been in the NHL already. But it's not like Andre has been playing in junior. He's been playing against men in the SHL, which is a tough league. So I like him a lot. I think that some people are completely discounting him because of the size factor. Um, personally, I would take Andre over Benning uh, any day because I think he's, uh, he's he's a little bit further along and more well-rounded. Let's move on to my next guy, Magnus Krona, who is a goalie. He Magnus really fits the name for him because he's huge. He's six foot six, two hundred fifteen pounds. He was drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning in the fifth round and traded at last year's deadline to the San Jose Sharks. But Magnus Krona, just 2% rostered on fan tracks. He has been at the University of Denver with Benning. He's been there for four years. He's basically been the starter the entire time he's been there, which is pretty impressive. He won that national title along with Benning with with the Denver Pioneers back in the 21-22 season. Uh, and he's been pretty solid all four years. I mean, you look at his save percentage in college and it's pretty much all been great. His freshman year was probably the best 920 save percentage, but he played the most games in the national title 21-22 season where his save percentage was 911, 2.11 GAA. Anyhow, that was all great. If you look at his uh, his hockey prospecting equivalency, he's got some decent comps, but he basically is still sitting around a 26% chance of being an NHLer. He's got some comps, guys like Jeremy Swayman. That would be a pretty good outcome. I think the biggest thing with Krona is that the Sharks have so many prospect goalies, and it's kind of one of those things that if you have a ton of prospect goalies, like you don't have any, right? It's like... They don't have any guy who's who's the guy, you know, and I think for a long time people thought it was Goudreau, but he's really stumbled the last couple of years. It's it seems they also signed Strauss man. They they also traded this year for E2 Niemi and the Burns trade. They drafted Mason Boupete. So they have a they have a few guys. Um, I don't know where Krona exactly fits on that 
depth chart, probably somewhere in the middle. Um, and he's hasn't played any professional games. So he's going to probably do that next year in the AHL and we'll see where he progresses, but he's certainly someone to, to keep in mind because, you know, when he was in Tampa behind Vasilevsky and Alnafeld, he wasn't going anywhere. Like there was no room for him to go up, but in San Jose, there is room, there is room to, you know, potentially be a one A or one B in, in a few years. I don't know that he's starter material, but uh, his size alone is going to get him many looks. And the fact that he's been really good in college, I mean, there's no doubt about that. So he's kind of an interesting one to know and I, to to think about. I'm I'm kind of lukewarm on him. I really just think we need to see him in the AHL and see what happens. None of the AHL goalies for the Barracuda this year were amazing, but also that team was pretty terrible. So it was kind of rough to be their goalie. Any thoughts on Corona, Pete? I'm not very good at projecting goalies. That is just something that I, I've not really had a lot of success with. So I try to avoid it. I, I will say that I like Ben Goudreau as, as a prospect. Uh, I'm not sure that he's going to make it to the NHL. Like you said, he's, he's had some, some struggles. I wouldn't say he's had completely bad seasons, but he's had some pretty long stretches of poor play. And he had a, a great I think it was a U18 tournament where he backstopped Canada to a gold medal. And he had the opportunity to do that again at the world juniors just recently and couldn't seal the deal. Couldn't get it done. And it, you know, it defaulted to another goalie. So yeah, I, Corona's got a lot going for him, but uh, I particularly have our hard time with NCAA goalies. And I look at Dryden McKay last year when the Hobie Baker was, you know, unstoppable in, in net and, couldn't sign an NHL contract, signed with the Marlies, and he's been playing in the East, ECHL with uh, their affiliate out in the on the on the West Coast. So hard hard to say. Next guy on on the list is is back to me, and I got Logan Morrison, and so he's a CHL undrafted free agent, twenty year old player now, and he's still going in the playoffs with the Ottawa Sixty Sevens. He was signed as a free agent recently by the Seattle Kraken, who have contracts and roster spots to give out. He's six foot 180. So size isn't really a problem there. He's only 2% rostered on fan tracks, which makes sense because a lot of leagues, you're not allowed to, to have undrafted unsigned players. So get him while you can. He is a hundred point senior player, scored hundred points last year with Hamilton. He led them part of the, the roster that led them to an OHL championship. He was named the playoff MVP, which has the best hockey named trophy, the Wayne Gretzky 99 award. Love that. He led the OHL in playoff goals with 17 and he had eight points in five Memorial cup games. So he was just clutch. And that was his final year of eligibility in the OHL. And he's returned as an overager for his fifth year. This season, he was traded. Uh, Hamilton is in a rebuild now. So they traded him for some futures to the Ottawa 67s, which, as I mentioned, is the top team. He went from scoring 1.62 point per games in Hamilton to 1.77 in Ottawa. So, you know, he improved in an environment that has a better supporting cast, uh, including 13 points in his first six playoff games in in this playoff series that they're in now. Uh, Recently, I was at a Frontenac's game here in Kingston. And I was speaking to a scout friend of mine who who scouts for Seattle. And I was mentioning to him that I was, I was surprised that, that they didn't draft Lucas Edmonds because I knew that he had liked him because we talked about him uh, a couple of times. And uh, I knew that they were interested and and that he would fit in their system with the, a new AHL team. And, you know, they only had one draft under their belt. So I was asking him, how are you guys going to fill your, 
your AHL roster out. And he said a lot of free agents and draft some overage guys who we don't have to wait two years for them to finish their junior careers. And so that we got talking about Edmonds and he said that he liked him. So recently we were talking about that and his comment was that they liked Logan Morrison more because while they both had outstanding regular seasons, the, the two players went in opposite directions in last year's playoffs where Logan Morrison exploded and became a superstar dominant player and Lucas Edmonds sort of faded away and, and was irrelevant. So some things I like about Logan Morrison's game is he's got above average hockey IQ. He reads plays really well. He finds soft ice. He makes passes that I didn't recognize were there. His puck skills are elite for the OHL level. You know, he handles the puck very well. He's the kind of player you, you just can't give him a bad pass. He takes passes and uh, no matter where they have their if they're behind him, if they're in his feet, if they're a foot in the air, if they're in his knee, no problem. He corrals it and makes it work. He's got a great compete level. He processes the play very fast. And that translates really well to the next level. The knocks on him and the reasons why he wasn't drafted would be, you know, skating concerns. He's a little sluggish. His his mechanics aren't great. And, you know, I mentioned he's six foot 180, but he doesn't play a very physically aggressive game. He's not going to get you the, the banger his hits stats and you can push him off the puck a little bit as well. So that's what you're looking at from Morrison projecting him going forward. Um, obviously, he's going to finish out the CHL playoffs and hope for another Memorial Cup run there. And then after that, he'll be turning to pro next year. And you'll I think you'll see him in, in Coachella uh, with their AHL affiliate. And, you know, honestly, he's going to be a long shot to make the NHL. And, and if he does, I think it'll be in, in a middle to the bottom six role. And the challenge there is I mentioned that he's not a burner and he's not very physical. And those are some attributes that you typically sort of look for in your bottom six pairings. So he's only 2% owned, uh, might be someone you want to put on your watch list, or if you've got a lot of roster spaces in a deep league, he's someone you could add and, and hope for the best. Like I said, he's 20 years old, so I think the turnaround time is, is going to be one or two years. He's in, or you can cut bait. I like that there's a quick turnaround time. The downside, you know, I, I love the insight. If you just look at the numbers statistically, he doesn't have a very good chance of having an NHL impact, especially as a guy who didn't in the first couple of years of junior didn't have much of an impact and then kind of, you know, exploded at late the late bloomer sort of syndrome. Statistically, those guys usually don't really do much, but uh, you never know. Sometimes you just need the opportunity. I do like that he signed with Seattle, which has a lot of opportunity in the prospect pool. So I like that. And yeah. Maybe he'll uh, it'll work out for him. So rooting for him. Personally, I'm probably not going to go pick him up in any of my leagues. But, uh, you know, if it's deep enough, uh, I would I would definitely take a look. The next guy for me is Jackson Lacombe. And he is uh, Anaheim's second round pick from 2019. Six foot two left handed D five percent rostered on fan tracks. It seems like uh, if it seems like they have a ton of great defensemen on the farm in Anaheim, they do. Even after losing Henry Thrun to the Sharks, uh, which, you know, this is probably part of the reason Thrun decided to sign elsewhere, is that he probably looked around and he saw Jamie Drysdale, Alan Zellweger, Minchukov, Hellison, and was like, mm, you know, and then all their NHLers or pseudo NHLers and thought, maybe I should sign somewhere else. Maybe that maybe there was some other reason, but I think that's probably part of it. 
Lacombe spent the last four seasons at the University of Minnesota, and he was great in his time there. He was basically, you know, pushing point per game the last couple seasons. If you if you roll his last two seasons together, he was just a few points off of being a point per game as a defenseman, which is pretty incredible. He uh, the, he was part of the team that just lost that heartbreaker to Quinnipiac. I was watching that game and Minnesota sure looked like they had it all in the bag. And then it, uh, it all kind of unraveled at the end. And then there was that really quick overtime call in case you're wondering, yes, Jackson Lacombe was out there for Quinnipiac's game winning goal, but it really wasn't his fault that they, that they scored that goal. His partner, Mike Foster, who you can't even really see in most of the highlights because he made just this awful read and mistake. And Lacombe was trying to basically play, both positions and uh, you know it didn't really work out well but it wasn't really his fault he was doing his best to cover there anyways the Lacombe was playing a ton for the Golden Gophers 21 18 average time on ice Uh, the only guy more was uh, one of the guys we'll talk about in a little bit he also had nearly a hit per game with two shots and half a block so his bash was decent not not like incredible or anything but pretty good and uh, as I mentioned uh, the points were pretty decent in the NCAA, although they basically just came in his, they really came in his junior and senior year. His sophomore season was pretty good. His freshman season was not super remarkable. And uh, if you look at his hockey prospecting, he doesn't look like he's going to be much of a point producer in the NHL, although he does certainly look like he will be an NHLer. Some of the other statistical models are are a little bit more pessimistic on him. The top-down hockey model has just 1% chance of being a star and 10% chance of being an NHLer. That's very low. The PNHLE from Mason Black has him kind of a tweener between that second and first liner. So uh, I think he's probably at best more of a second pairing guy, maybe third pairing, third, second, third pairing. But uh, the PNHLE is very high on him. It also has some pretty decent comps. It's got uh, Matt Hunwick and Jordan Gross and Alec Martinez. I think Alec Martinez is probably a pretty decent comp for Jackson Lacombe because Martinez, although he had some scoring, he was never really the primary guy, but he was pretty good for his peripheral coverage. And I think Lacombe will be sort of like that. Maybe Alec Martinez light. Certainly, he Lacombe should have more bash than someone like Cam Fowler or Zellweger or Minchukov. So, you know, someone who will probably play NHL games and get some decent peripheral. Maybe when Anaheim is really good, he gets a 30, you know, point season, 35, something like that. But I don't think he's going to be the primary offensive driver, not a power play guy at the next level. So certainly in deep enough leagues where you you want guys that are going to play games and, and have some decent peripherals, then Jackson Lacombe should be interesting to you. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I think he's certainly a fantasy relevant player and, and an NHL future player. The challenge I think he'll have is the quality of competition he has on the Anaheim blue line. Like he's not going to get first line power play minutes over Zelliger or Drysdale, I don't think so. So there's that. Drew Camesso is my next guy. Boston Terrier, 16% fan tracks rostered. The 20-year-old is 6'2", 181. So not the monster that uh, Krona is physically, but you know, 6'2 is, I think, the benchmark for the comfort zone for height on NHL goalies and the standards these days. Chicago made him their second-round pick, 46th overall in 2020's draft. And he's been kind of dubbed the future starting goalie for the Hawks as their fully embracing this rebuild that they're currently in. He's played the last three years at at BU, as I said, with uh, 2.57 goals against average and a 914 save percentage. His record is pretty impressive, 43, 22, and 
four. He helped take the uh, the Terriers to the final four, and you know they lost their their game there. He's also played for uh, USA uh, at the uh, Olympics and went two and zero and had a shutout there. He's signed his entry level contract and a PTO with to finish the season in the AHL with Rockford. As I mentioned, I'm not a, a, a tremendous goalie scout, so I defaulted to the Dauber Prospects profile that calls him a technically sound netminder, reads the game well, and has an athletic ability to come out of his positioning to make a save when he needs to. He has the ability to steal a game when he's at his best, and that's totally true. He can steal games. He can be a dominant goalie. problem he has is consistency. He can be average at best for long stretches of time or in key games. So, you know, he has to work on his consistency, but he's a young prospect and that's a pretty common strike against a lot of prospects. Um, and a lot of them can can find some level of consistency. He's going to need a full season in the American Hockey League. But, you know, given the Hawks depth and goal, uh, I do like him as their their future starting goalie still. That's Comesso in a nutshell, Victor. Yeah, you know, the issues with the Chicago goal are going to be it's going to take a while to sort all that out. As you mentioned, he's not really particularly close. I do agree with you. I think that he's the solution, although Arvid Soderblom might have something to say about that. It's going to be a while till Chicago is good. So it's going to be tough to to be putting up good numbers there anytime soon. But I, I do like Comesso yeah. and I'm really excited to see what he can do in the pros because it's definitely a different game there. The next guy that I get to talk about, some of these guys I feel like have been like, eh, he's okay, you know, kind of interesting. But now we got a blue chipper, and that is Luke Hughes, Devils' fourth overall pick in 2021. As we're recording this, we got a Devils playoff game going on in the background. But uh, Hughes is exciting. He's a six foot two left handed D, definitely the tallest of the three Hughes brothers. The others are under six feet. He's also 43% rostered on fan tracks. I'm not really sure what the other 50% of leagues are doing because he pretty much should be rostered in just about any league. Any league that has a minors eligible spot or is keeper in any way, the only acceptable place to not roster him is in redraft leagues for this year. He's, he's definitely a must keeper. It's also important to remember for Hughes, for Luke Hughes, that he was six days away from being eligible for the 2022 draft where he, I don't know, might've gone first overall, especially after his incredible uh, freshman season at Michigan, where he was nearly a point per game, 39 points in 41 games. And that again was just six days away from being his draft eligible season. That would have been remarkable this past season he was 48 points in 39 games so that's well over a point per game as a sophomore he was everything for that team especially with the one power gone he was really able to kind of take hold of that team he's played in a couple world juniors for the usa he's also played at the world championship so he's played against you know some tougher competition the ncaa is a, is a pretty you know, big man's league too. So that's pretty good. He also got into a couple of devil's games, including scored an incredible overtime winner. If you haven't watched that highlight, go do that. That was pretty awesome, especially when his brother comes over to congratulate him. So he currently is on pace for point per game in the NHL level. I assume he's just going to continue that, Pete. So, uh, you know, let's tell he proves me wrong. I'm assuming that that's just going to continue. Uh, just kidding. The statistical profile for Hughes is pretty incredible. He actually looks a whole lot like his current teammate, Dougie Hamilton. And actually, if you compare him to his brother, Quinn, it's actually pretty interesting because if you regress that year that 
Hughes was almost eligible for the following year, then then he statistically looks better than Quinn, which is kind of scary because Quinn, as we all know, is a superstar defenseman, at least with the points. Some of you might be wondering, is Luke going to hit and shoot more than Quinn? And the answer is probably. He has been doing that at the NCAA level. He's definitely more physical, tends to shoot more um, blocks. He had 1.2 blocks per game, half a hit, and 3.4 shots at Michigan. Of course, he was playing almost 26 minutes. He's not going to do that at the NHL level, but you know that's maybe his ceiling. You know, getting up to those, you know, lots of shots, lots of blocks. Uh, you know, maybe half a hit. That's incredible. Pretty much uh, any model you look at has him as a superstar producer at the next level. Uh, PNHLE, the hockey prospecting. So he's a he's he's a no doubter. He's, you're going to want him. The only real question is how does he fit into that to that team? You know, of course they have Dougie Hamilton. He's on a on a nice big hefty contract, and he's he's there. He's doing it already. So Luke Hughes isn't going to displace Dougie Hamilton like next season or anything. It might not even be the season after that. It's going to take Hughes Luke Hughes a little bit of time. I, there's talk that he's going to make the team this next season. And I think that that's a, that's reasonable. Maybe he makes the out of camp plays for a little bit, goes back down and then gets called back up middle of the season. I don't know that he plays all 82 for the devils, but maybe I think that's reasonable. I think he's pretty, pretty close to being ready, but he's not going to steal Dougie Hamilton's job anytime soon. He probably is going to need a year or two to really adjust to the NHL pace, physicality and all of that. But I think you're talking about maybe two or three years from now being an elite offensive defenseman with pretty decent bash. I mean, we're, we're talking like, you know, Eric Carlson, Roman Yossi Heights, uh, if, if everything breaks right for, for Luke Hughes. So I think that that's kind of what you should expect. And there's this idea of buying high and, and maybe if you can buy high on Luke Hughes, when, when you're not really buying as high as, uh, you know, you would, as, as someone would think, he could be everything. Like he could be a league winner in two to three years. So he's definitely someone you want to, to acquire, I would definitely be interested in that. I currently don't have any shares of Luke Hughes and it makes me kind of sad, Pete. What about you? I sadly, I am also a zero shareholder on Luke Hughes stock. However, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. I think, I think a lot of people right now, the question they want is, is he going to make it right to the NHL or is he going to have a season in the American hockey league? And while, you know, we can't definitively answer that. My opinion is I think he's straight to the NHL. I think he bypassed his need to develop in the American Hockey League with a second year of of college development. He's dominated the NCAA level. He's got all of the the toolbox skills you need to be successful in the NHL. You know, I think that the big question after his freshman year was how can he play defensively? And, you know, there might be some still some NHL level question marks there, but I think all of the the positives that he brings to the game will allow him to 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 make those those defensive rookie mistakes and bad decisions at the NHL level and and he'll learn there because he's just going to bring enough value right away and 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 a lot of other ways that that smooth that over. So I think you're right. He's a total must-own blue chip prospect. I don't know what the other percentage of of leagues that don't have him owned are, but if you're in one of them, fix it, get on it. Next guy up is a Leafs prospect, Matthew Nyes and you know, Leaf fans are very excited for him and hoping that he'll be the the next coming of Wendell Clark and and be a fan favorite and a franchise legend. So here's my thought on that. No, I don't think he'll be 
the next Wendell Clark. He's not a first overall NHL draft pick. He's not even a first round NHL draft pick. He's a second round pick. He's six foot three, 209. And the Leafs drafted him with their first selection in the second round, 57th overall in 2021. Great pick. Great pick by Toronto. And, you know, when you, you trade your first round picks away in, in drafts because you are a uh, contending and competitive team, that's what you have to do. You have to hit in the second round. And, you know, congratulations to Toronto. I believe they did. He's 29% fan tracks rostered. So, you know, a lot of Leaf fans are, are on this one already, but there's a lot of, of opportunity to, to add him to your roster still. It's kind of neat that he's another Arizona born player. So, you know, he's a he's a Austin Matthews fan. And I think that the two of them being Arizona born and bred and, and raised and developed prospects, you know, bodes well for their their chemistry and, and connection on the team. So how has he played so far and why are Leaf fans so excited for him? Well, he's basically dominated two seasons of the NCAA at the University of Minnesota with the Golden Gophers with career stats of 73 games, 36 goals, 75 points. He was a Hobie Baker finalist this season that just ended in his sophomore year, and he lost out to Adam Fantilli. He's played for the Americans a couple of times. Uh, He played four games at the Olympics and had two points. That's, you know, pro-level hockey against professional-level athletes from all over the world. He's played five games and had three points at the World Junior Championships as well. He has signed with the Leafs. And at the time I was doing my research, he'd played three games, had a couple of hits, one assist, a couple blocks. So what he projects to be for for me with the Leafs is uh, a middle six power forward kind of player. Power forwards can take a, a little bit of time to develop at the at the NHL level, right? Like they're they're dominant at the junior level because they have a, a physicality advantage over their peers. But that's going to be relatively negated at the NHL level, right? Like he's still going to be six foot three, 209 pounds, but he's not going to be going up against players who are 18 years old and, you know, five foot 10 and 170. You know, a lot of the players in the NHL are much bigger than that. And a lot of power forwards game is is kind of more the shooter drive pucks to the net stand in front of the net and cause havoc kind of style of play. And Matthew Nyes can do those things, but he more excels at playmaking and winning puck battles and, and being strong on the board and taking pucks to the net. So the fact that he's got, I think, more advanced playmaking and hockey vision than he does pure goal scoring and shooting abilities, I think is actually an advantage for him in his trajectory and and ETA to the NHL. As I mentioned, there's there's massive hype with Leaf fans about this guy. I'm in, in Kingston, Ontario, which is close to Toronto. I'm a Toronto fan, so I got a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs on my Twitter feed. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are disappointed that he didn't play in the NHL this full season, that he went back to college. And now that he's here, they're thinking that this is a player that they can with a cheap entry level cap hit can can fit into the budget on the team and and play in the top 6 on a secondary offensive support role. And well that's possible. I just think you need to temper your expectations with how quickly that's going to turn around. I think he'll definitely play in the NHL next year. I don't see him playing in the American Hockey League. It's possible, but I think it's more likely that he that he burns that contract second contract year in the NHL because he's already spent one now finishing the balance of the season with the Leafs. What do you think about Matthew Nyes, Victor? Is that a, a is that a, a fair assessment from someone who is uh who is a, who's a Leaf fan? Is that a, a down to earth take? It's probably the most down to earth 
take I've heard because you're right. So many people are losing their minds about Matthew Nyes and they think that, yeah, he's going to come in and, and, you know, solve all their problems and, and not that they have problems. Well, in the regular season, anyways, they don't have problems. Um, he can't play goal. <laughs> he doesn't play goal. So no, he can't solve their problems. You know, I think that, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, what you said is I think completely accurate. He's a, he's a very good middle six piece. I think that he does so many things well. I and mean, in, in some ways he kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Matt Boldy, you know, just that like really strong, you know, possession type. I think he's got some scoring. He's got some offense. I don't know that he's that good or, you know, top of the lineup kind of guy, but, uh, I think, you know, just, you know, based on what you said and kind of what I've thought about him too. And what I see is like the Toronto tax, because there's so many people in your leagues that, that want Maple Leaf players is that I personally would rather trade him than roster him because pretty much any Leaf fan is probably going to give you more than, than what he might actually produce on your team. And so if you could get, if you could get, you know, a great return for him, then I think you know, I, I'd definitely be willing to move Nyes just because I don't know that he's a that he's a for sure top of the lineup kind of guy, point per game upside. I don't know that he has that right. And if you if you just cover up his name and you look at his at his NHLE and his his equivalencies, he pretty much comes out as like Jacob Pelletier or Zachary Bulduk or Austin Zarnak. Is that the kind of guy that you're going to lose your mind over? I, I don't think so. Right. I mean, there are a couple guys in here that he might end up like Jake Gensel, TJ Oshi are really the only stars, but his profile does not look statistically like someone who's going to be a point per game star in the NHL. So if yeah. you're playing the numbers, I think I would I would rather get, you know, like a like a top other prospect or a really high pick or something like that. I think some of the maybe confusion or, or misconception in, in Leafs Nation with him is you have a lot of hockey prospect scouter writers media people saying how how great of a, a selection he was in the second round and the Leafs found themselves a player right like a top six player a first round caliber player in the second round and they get all excited about how high that value is and they misconstrued that with he's a superstar well he's not a superstar he's he's great value at where they drafted him that doesn't that doesn't mean he's generational talent <laughs> So that's enough lip service on on that guy. Let's move on. Your next player up is Carter Mazur, one of your Detroit guys, the prospects you covered for Dauber Prospects. Yeah, Carter Mazur, Detroit's third round pick in 2021. He's actually from Michigan, so that's kind of fun. Six foot left wing, only 6% roster on Fantrack. So if you like what you hear, you might want to go look into that. Probably available. He was drafted out of the USHL, and then he went to... The University of Denver, where a couple guys we've talked about have been there, right? We just talked about Benning. We talked about Krona, won a national championship with them. And so he really exploded when he got to college. He wasn't that exciting in the USHL. I mean, he had a good draft season, but it wasn't incredible. He had 44 points in 47 games for Tri-City of the USHL. Then he went to the University of Denver and was... <laughs> arguably better or just as you know just as good 38 points in 41 games that was pretty awesome he also played at the rescheduled august world junior championships and had seven points in five games including five of them goals and he looked really good in that tournament he looked strong he was driving hard towards the net got some good finishing and tight really liked what i saw there with him and 
since uh this this past season obviously uh the with the University of Denver being being done 37 points in 40 games during the regular season. Then he went over to the Grand Rapid Griffins of the AHL and checks notes. Six points in six games, point per game in the AHL. Holy cow, that's pretty good. In fact, if you look at the PNHLE of the Detroit Prospects through uh, the ranking app, Mason Black's app, he currently has the highest PNHLE of any Detroit prospect. The highest PNHLE. Detroit has some pretty good prospects and he's the highest on there. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know that I would agree. I don't agree that he's their best prospect because when I did my org ranks, he was definitely not at the top, but that's pretty cool that he's high up there. If you look at hockey prospecting, it's way more pessimistic on his outcome because he's basically listed as 0% chance of being a star. His statistical profile on that model basically is that of a bust. You look at all the comps and they're basically all busts. So yeah, you know, hard to say exactly how it's going to turn out, but the PNHLE looks great. He's got a couple of comps, guys like Kyle Brodziak, Vladislav Kamenev, who, you know, not the most exciting. So the real question is, is he one of these late bloomers or someone who really won't pop at the NHL ever? I lean towards probably not going to do much at the NHL level, but he's worth a flyer because the nice thing about Carter Mazur is he is ready. He's ready to contribute pretty much now. You know, he could make Detroit's team at a camp. I think that an AHL season is probably in the mix for him, but you know, a couple of strong seasons at Denver, basically dominating the competition there. He's, he's pretty ready. And the nice thing about Mazur is that he has a super high floor in banger formats. He's getting 1.5 hits per game nearly half a block which is incredible for forwards forwards don't usually get that much and three shots so that bash is what i would call elite so even if he's only a 45 to 55 point guy which i kind of feel like that's where he's going to end up he will be valuable in those formats especially because he if you're playing cap leagues we won't command too much salary that could be really good value so carter mazer is somebody you might want to if it's the right league if it's the right format and a points only format i don't really have much interest in carter mazer although i still might take a flyer just to see if maybe he proves everybody wrong but uh he's definitely someone to keep an eye out for right pete well, I'm part of the 6% that has him on my Fantrax roster. So yeah, I like him. So next up, we're going to talk about uh, another NCAA player, Brock Faber. You mentioned that the game-winning overtime NCAA Frozen Four goal, Jackson Lacombe was on the ice. Why wasn't Brock Faber on there? Why don't you start Brock Faber? That's my first question. Okay, I like Brock Faber. He's in, 20 years in, old. In fact, if I could just interject something... They yeah. interviewed the Quinnipiac coach about that play because apparently they practice that all the time. And they mm -hmm. said, you know, what about that play? And he said, well, you know, we tried that play earlier in the game and Brock Faber just intercepted the pass and it was over. So, yeah, yeah. He, they, they, I heard that too, that he, they read that he read that play and they tried it because that was a set play of, of Quinnipiac's and he was, he shot it down. Mm -hmm. That's what Brock Faber does. He's 20 years old, six, one, uh, 201 pounds. So he's got some decent size. He's a right shot defenseman. He's a Minnesota born player and he was drafted by Los Angeles Kings in 2020 in the second round, 45th overall, and then traded to Minnesota, uh, last, last summer in the Kevin Fiala trade. His fan tracks roster percentage is 11%, which is low, but I kind of, I kind of get it because in terms of fantasy hockey, 
he's more valuable in, in real hockey than fantasy hockey. So he spent the last three years with the Gophers, uh, 97 games played, seven goals, 46 assists, 53 points, which is a pretty decent point total for a defenseman. He represented the Americans at the World Junior two times. He captained and they won the gold medal. He also played for the Americans at the Olympics as well and had four points there, which again is pretty good for a defenseman. He's extremely smart and very good defensively. He's a player that teams will win championships with. He's the kind of guy that will play huge minutes and be an MVP for a team on the on the blue line. Not as valuable as fantasy, as I mentioned, even when you factor in the peripheral stats. I just don't think he's going to be that explosive and offensive defenseman, but still a must own in in dynasty leagues, right? Uh, His peripheral stats will be great. He's got nine hits in his first two NHL games. No blocks, no points, one shot on goal. And that's playing 20 minutes a night on average ice time. So, you know, getting great minutes in his uh, end of season audition here. Some other things that I like about him is his opportunity. You've got Matt Dumba and John Klingberg who are poised to become unrestricted free agents at the end of this season. And that's going to open up some, some roster spots, assuming that Minnesota doesn't fill those holes externally. Brock Faber is going to be a guy that steps into their top four right away. Not only plays in the in the NHL, but I think he'll be top four. It might take him a little bit of time to, to win the confidence of the coach, and there might be some some AHL seasoning there. It's hard to say, but I would not be surprised if if we see Brock Faber in the NHL as a regular next season. He's be competing with some pretty stiff competition, though. You know, Minnesota's got uh, some prospects: Kalen Addison, Carson Lambos. Those are two prospects that are NHL caliber, and they're going to be fighting for one of those roster spots as well. So they might um, be a rotating. Recall, send down, give you guys a a week or two or a month in in the American Hockey League and bring you up, send someone else down. Give them more minutes in the American Hockey League, bring them up, send them down, that kind of stuff. Ottawa does that a lot. So he's got great hockey sense. His processing, his his hockey processor is is elite. His defensive read and reacts are, are excellent. His skating is an advantage. As I mentioned, he's got good size. His compete level is about as good as it could get. He's not physically aggressive. Like he's not going to, you know, going out looking for fights and, and delivering Nicholas Cornwall style hits, but he does play physically. The only downside I think really with him is, and this is kind of a big one for fantasy hockey is, is there's a bit of a question mark on his offensive upside. It's not non-existent, but it's just not first power play unit. I think basically is what it boils down to. So I think the turnaround time is going to be short. I think the offensive upside is going to be limited. I think the peripheral stats are going to be great. He's going to play a lot of minutes. So there's going to be an opportunity for a lot of secondary assists there as he starts to transition up the ice. And I think that's pretty much what you're looking at in a nutshell with him. So 11% Fantrax roster, that number should be a lot closer to, you know, overall in all the different varieties of leagues, I think that number should be a lot closer to 50% by Thanksgiving next year. Yeah, I absolutely love Brock Faber. And I think you're misremember- misremembering the USA teams too, like I was. Pete, he captained the this past summer's team, not the one that won. That was Cam York. But both strong defensive guys. We were talking about York earlier and how how strong he is. Two world juniors are basically like a couple of months apart. So you know. <laughs> I know I'm old. So these things kind of just bleed together. And 
you know, but that speaks to his leadership too. And what everyone else thinks about him being the captain and, and actually of all the guys we're talking about Faber is one who's playing meaningful minutes already for the Minnesota wild in the NHL after coming out of that NCAA. And as we alluded to earlier, he he's, he's a beast back there. He shuts things down. In fact, he's literally the reason that the Minnesota wild won that game, because I don't know if who saw this, but he literally knocked a puck off the goal line that was going in. And then a little bit later, Minnesota goes down and scores. So he Mason McTavish style. He, I mean, McTavish's was probably cooler. I mean, it was cooler, <laughs> but it was definitely that. Yeah, it was that elite. And, you know, he basically sticked someone at the last second with a wide open goal and saved the game. So that's what Brock Faber does. And maybe that doesn't lead to too many fantasy stats. But as you mentioned, he will be out there a ton collecting probably some peripherals and probably some secondary assists. And I think that he's the kind of guy whose defense is going to translate so quickly, he might be able to translate some of that offense that maybe you don't see a ton of, but is there. So I still have a lot of time for Brock Faber. I still think that he could be easily a 30, 40 point guy with good peripherals. And the time on ice is just going to allow him to just, you know, have a pretty high floor. So love Brock Faber. The next guy I want to talk about is Sean Farrell. So Montreal's fourth round pick in 2020. Yeah. Fourth round pick because he's short. He was five foot nine when he was drafted. He's still five foot nine. Not only was he is, was he short and is short, but he also wasn't the best skater, but man is his vision and processing elite. Uh, he's only 13% rostered on fan tracks. And, you know, that's probably somewhat fair because he's such a low draft pick and because he's small, but you can't really deny what he's done. I mean, drafted of the USHL for that Chicago steel team. That was really incredible. His draft year, 101 points in 53 games. Then he went to Harvard and put up 28 points in 24 games. And then this season, he put up 53 points in 34 games at Harvard. I mean, he has 81 points in 58 games in the NCAA in two seasons as a freshman and sophomore, not as a junior and senior, which wouldn't be nearly as impressive, but as an undersized freshman and sophomore, that's incredible. He, Sean Farrell also represented the USA at both the Olympics and the world championships where he's playing against, you know, much bigger, stronger, faster competition. And he did not look out of place. So you know, his his hockey prospecting has him looking like 13% chance of being a star, 75% chance of being an NHLer. He's got some pretty interesting comps. One that I think is is kind of apt is William Carlson, who, you know, it has very little peripheral coverage. That is going to be Sean Farrell if and when he makes it to the NHL. He doesn't really shoot a lot. He doesn't really, he's not going to hit or block a lot, but he might get a lot of assists. And so, although... William Carlson did score 43 goals. I don't know that Sean Farrell ever does that in the NHL, but the rest of the analogy might hold. His PHL has him looking as a between first and second line player. And um, some of these players have the tracking data from Mitch Brown. Sean Farrell has it. And it's kind of hilarious because his offensive numbers, like his expected assist per 60 is just like trying to jump off the charts. He is so good at creating offense. His primary assist per 60 is basically better than anyone else in the NCAA, but his defensive numbers are just like so poor. So that's going to be the issue is can he defend well enough? Can he keep up with the pace of of the game? That's going to be a challenge. You know, he did get into a couple 
Montreal Canadiens games. He got into six games. He did score a goal, although it was kind of a random fluky deflection that went in. I don't even think he was shooting at the goal, which is pretty much his MO. He doesn't really shoot that much, but it went in. So he has one point. That's cool. Great. Good for him. But you know, the, that's going to be the question. Can he score enough? I, I don't know. Um, it's going to be interesting. He had eight shots in six games. Uh, again, credited with that shot that went in that wasn't really a shot. <laughs> no hits. That's pretty much what you can expect from Sean Farrell. So I'm interested to see if he can really roll that all into an NHL career. I think he's definitely smart enough. He definitely has the, the vision and hockey sense, but not sure if everything else is going to follow. I think he probably needs a year in the AHL to really kind of fill out all of those things and kind of dominate before he gets called up. We'll see, though. I think he he might make it out of camp. What do you think of Sean Farrell there, Pete? There's a lot to like there offensively for fantasy purposes, right? Like challenge though is it's the opposite of Brock favor. Brock favor kind of lacks the offensive explosiveness, but he's a surefire NHL player and he's going to play big minutes when he gets there because his defense is so good, but Farrell's defensive liabilities really need to be resolved or coaches just aren't, aren't going to allow him to, to be that kind of a liability. And so he might be a, a tremendous American hockey league or European offensive player. And if he can shore up those shortcomings defensively, then, you know, look out, he could be dynamite, but it's just not a very sure thing. It's, I guess he, that's what you call a boom or a bust, right? Like if he makes it, he'll be great, but there's a good chance he doesn't make it. Well, that wraps up our list. One thing I, I, I kind of wanted to mention you know, this is kind of early in the free agent season. It's going to go on all summer. So if you're getting prepared for your fantasy drafts in uh, in July and August and, and you want to figure out how can I see who some of the, the free agent players might have been coming out of college, one of the easiest ways to do it is our good friends at Elite Prospects. Just go on their homepage there. They've got the confirmed transfers tab. Sort that by by league, select NHL and cuckoo cuckoo. There you go. Uh, gives you a big breakdown of, of all the players. Uh, it can be a little bit daunting because there's, there's a lot of uh, players and data to sort through and you got to click on them and, and look at their stat lines and see where they're at and whatnot. So we sell, certainly help cut through some of that with you with this podcast and we'll circle back and probably talk a little bit more about some of those guys uh, closer to fantasy draft season. That's kind of a wrap on on this episode. So I hope you liked it and we're going to have a lot more content and, and some segments that we're kind of still sorting out and, and game planning. And um, I put a, a message on Twitter for what you want to talk about. And this kind of information is, is what a lot of you asked for right out of the gate. So uh, happy to be able to, uh, to deliver right off the top. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Farling and then uh, Victor is Victor Nuno 12, V-I-C-T-O-R-N-U-N-O-1-2. And our producer, Evan Sabrin at Sabrin91, just like Fedorov. And the show for now, the Twitter handle is at DPR underscore show. But, you know, if you've got a better idea for a show title, send it to us on that Twitter account or to me or to Victor personally on Twitter and uh, and share that with us. And uh, you never know, you might uh, you might go down in the podcasting hall of fame as the person who named this show great moments are born from great opportunity that is something to to strive for i think don't you don't you victor yeah and podcasting hall of fame is definitely a thing too so oh for sure oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) all right any last final thoughts 
No, I'm just super excited to be along for the ride. And I'm I'm hoping we can keep giving the people what they want, which is great content about prospects. Well, uh, it's my pleasure to have you uh to have you as my co-host, Victor. I, I'm I'm looking forward to many episodes going forward. Thanks a lot for a great first episode. Thanks, Evan, for putting it all together for the listeners. I'm sure they enjoy a lot less of my verbal diarrhea and, and a little bit more of the uh, the refinement that you're going to bring the this fine show. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week on the next episode. If you've got show themes or ideas, the things you want us to talk about, shoot us a message on Twitter at DPR underscore show. That's it for now. See you next week. Let's do that hockey. Hockey.